Well, um, last week, I, I started my sermon by uh, talking about this TV show that I had just heard about, and I asked for a show of hands, and a bunch of you didn't have your hands up, so a lot of people apparently didn't know about it, but now everybody's talking about it. I've got all these emails and phone conversations and hallway conversations about this show, and you know, I'm, I'm not endorsing the show. I just thought it was interesting. Um, the basic gist of the show is there's 12 different parenting styles. Here they are, and they have a, 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 pair, a, um, a couple for each one of these styles, and they uh, interview them, and they show videos of this, these uh, parents interacting with the kids, and then the rest of the other parents then comment on the parenting style of that particular parent. And I, I talked about how I never heard of some of these, and I made fun of this one here, the free range, because I was like, what is that, you know? And it was so funny because my wife said to me later, she goes, you know, honey, the way you talk about your parents when you guys lived on a farm, we lived on a 100-acre farm, 103-acre farm in southern Ohio, she says, the way you talk about those days, I think that sounds like free range parenting, because uh, we would go out and in the woods and in the creeks, and we'd play all day long. We'd be gone. After we got our chores done, we'd be gone all day, and nobody checked on us, and then we'd come back for, you know, something to eat. And she's like, that sounds like free-range parenting. You know, it's kind of out there. And I'm like, you know, I think two, two years old is old enough to go out in the woods and the creeks, don't you guys think? Okay, we weren't two. Just kidding. Um, but, you know, we, we lived there for three years, and I... Uh, those were some of the best years of my life, and um, I think those my parents did practice free-range parenting for those three years. So it kind of depends on the context. In reality, um, what I've come to believe as I've dug into this a little bit more is as I look at these styles, some of them I would never use, but I think that oh, as we raise our children, we need to change styles that one style fits a stage better than another style, and one style you should never do, I think, in, in a different stage. So, so um, we're going to talk a little bit about that as we turn to Luke chapter 2, because we've been talking about how Jesus' parents in the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2, how they raised him. And it's been fascinating to me. Um, I, I've always wished there, were, there was more about Jesus' childhood, more about the way he was parented, but the Lord's been showing me some things as I've been studying, I'm like, wow, I didn't know that was in the Bible. That's pretty cool. And, um, you know, the last couple of weeks, we've covered a lot of ground, a lot of verses. <laughs> today, we're going to look at one verse, and then we won't even get through it today. We're going to spend the next three weeks on one verse. And some of you are like, can you do that? Yes, we can. So turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 40. And I know it's just one verse, but let's stand to honor God's word. Um, Luke chapter 2, again, just one verse, verse 40. And the child grew and became strong. This is Jesus, right? The child Jesus grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. So I know, let's have a seat now. Stand up, sit down. Um, now, I'm, I'm captivated by this first phrase, the language of the child grew and became strong. It speaks to me of process. 
growth is a process. And we know that about you know, every other child, but sometimes I think we think that Jesus just kind of skipped a lot of those stages. And it's, there's no indication whatsoever that Jesus skipped the stages of growth, that he came out of the womb strong. He became strong. So it's, it's, it's a growth process. And uh, this is especially uh, significant to me when I started studying this word child. The word in the Greek language is paideion, paideion, paideion. It's where we get our word pediatrics, you know, in, in, in English today. And the, the word has a range to it. We just saw this word last week in Luke 2.27, where it says, when the parents, that's Joseph and Mary, Jesus' parents, brought in the child. If you weren't here last week, we noted that the ceremony that they're doing, the customary they're doing, custom that they did, was something that you did on the 40th day. So this child, Jesus, is 40 days old. He's an infant. He's not even two months yet. And yet this exact same word is also used at the end of John 21. Jesus has grown up. In fact, he's, he's died on the cross. He's been raised from the dead. And he's about to ascend into heaven. And he's in the last chapter of the book of John. He uses this exact word, to refer to his disciples, who we think were probably either late teens or early 20s. Um, and so Jesus says to them, Pideon, children, do you have any fish? And I'm like, whoa, that one word captures the range of infancy all the way to a teenager. And I'm like, that's, that's interesting. And all of a sudden, it kind of came to occur to me that I love that because in this verse, it's just one verse, we've got Jesus from a 40-day-year-old infant all the way to 12 years old because the verse 41, if you've got your Bibles open, shows Jesus as a 12-year-old. Can't wait to get to that. That's going to be three weeks from now. And, you know, between infancy and 12, infancy and adulthood, there are all these stages that children go through, and every stage that a child goes through needs a different parenting style. So there were, I'm calling this sermon the five stages of parenting, and I love that in this verse, that one word kind of captures you know, the, that range. And so we're going to walk through the f- five stages of parenting. And here, here they are. We'll fill in the blanks as we go. And you might notice that these first three stages all have the word trainer in them. Now, I, I'm not the first one that, that has seen there's different stages of parenting. You can get online or read books that show three stages of parenting, five stages of parenting, seven stages of parenting, nine stages of parenting, 12 stages of parenting. You know, what, and what you'll often see is one of those stages is the stage of training. But as I have watched, as I have parented, as I've listened to others, as I've learned, I actually think this word trainer needs to fit the first three stages. And these are the ages, zero to one, one to five, five to 12. And what I'm gonna do is, is help you see that, that, you know, as I said last week, that every parent is training. Remember this, if you weren't here, then you didn't remember it. But let me help you see, you know, whether you're a good parent or a bad parent, whether you're an involved parent or an absent parent, whether you're neglectful or whether you're just really engaged, every Parent is training. And the question is, what are you training? It's the very nature of parenting. 
But it's also the very nature of discipleship. Discipleship is about training. Now, check this out. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, fathers, this can be true for mothers too, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training. That's what parents do in the training and instruction of the Lord. So you are training them automatically. But Paul says, I challenge you to train them in the way of the Lord, in the teaching of the Lord. Now, here's what was, I, I discovered. This word, padeon, for child, is the same root word as training, which is padea. You can see that the similarity. They both come from the same root. And it is, so the, these words are related, which is fascinating to me, because the, the, the padeon child in all these stages and all this range needs to be trained uh, at each, each stage along the way. So this word padea over the years, you know, it's been used to just to um, talk about training horses, uh, training uh, students in Greek um, philosophy. It's a real famous word in Greek philosophy and Greek educational models. Um, uh, Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, they, they all talked about this word. Um, it sometimes gets used to describe classical education, um, but it's, it's often used... Uh, to speak about any kind of training that parents or teachers or educators or coaches, etc., do for the child throughout all these stages. But it's also used to describe not just children, but also discipleship. So we've been talking about how parenting is discipleship. And we've been talking about how both parenting and discipleship involve training and so today, as we walk through and we focus a little bit more on the five stages of parenting, there's going to be a lot of goodies about discipleship as well that will be interweaving. So again, the, both of these things involve training. And, you know, when Proverbs says train up in a child in the way they should go, they're not only talking about, you know, the, the domestic ways of training, but they're all talk, also talking about discipling because you're training that child according to the way that God's wired them and you're training them to become more and more um, like Christ, more and more God-centered, and both parenting and and discipleship have this core element of a goal in mind as I train my kids. So the training part is not up for grabs. Every parent's training. The question is, what goal do you have or what goals do you have for your children or for the people you're discipling? Because if it's not a goal-oriented training, then who knows what could happen? And so just sometimes the, the simple recognition that I'm already training my children, no matter, no matter what I do, I'm training. I want to get the right goals in mind, right? And we've, someone say yes. And so, thank you. And so we discovered the last couple of weeks that the primary goal of parenting, the, the reason that God gave parents children is that they would nurture, that they would raise those kids to be God-centered. This is true for every parent. Of course, most parents don't know God, don't love God, don't care about God. This is true for most parents. So they're not going to reach the primary goal that God has because God has created all of us. Every human's made in the image of God, and God has a plan 
and a purpose for every human being. He wants us to walk with him, to know him, to live for him, to live to his glory. God made human beings, big ones and little ones, to live for the glory, his glory. He's glorified when we live God-centered lives. So even though most parents don't do that, let's talk about Christian parents who oftentimes don't realize that this is why God gave you children, that you might raise them to his glory. That goal of God-centeredness is so foundational. So if that's true, since it's true, that's going to require, there's three things that I have to write down here. It's going to require optimizing those five stages. So as we walk through the five stages today, and we're going to do it really quick because I only have one sermon to get through these five stages. We want to learn those stages and optimize each one of them. And we want to prioritize goals because we've got lots of goals for our kids. We want to prioritize what are the most significant ones. And that's going to require learning, developing, and practicing a set of skills. And parenting is learning and utilizing a set of skills that gets adjusted for every stage because every stage requires new skills. Okay, so let's unpack this as we go. So here's the first, the first stage. And every stage, if you look at your notes, of all the five stages, every single one of them, I've got three subpoints. We're going to look at the goals of that stage, the parenting goals, the discipleship goals, because you're trying to help them to love God, and then particular skills you need to learn and, and get good at as a parent. And again, I'm, I'm, Jesus has called all of us to make disciples. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're also supposed to be making disciples. And there's some, a lot of similarity between the parenting goals and discipleship goals. So let's dig in. We already know the first stage here has something to do with training. And again, it's infancy to one. So this is a real young kid. What word will we put here? I'm putting the word nurturing. That the primary word here for the infant is that your job as a parent is to nurture that child so that they begin to know that they are loved. There's this verse in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, that we looked at a couple weeks ago that so many people skip over with about the birth of Jesus, but I think it's so cool. Mary is she, so Mary gave birth to Jesus, and we know about this phrase, but what does it mean? Wrapped in swaddling cloths. Already, we're seeing the mother of Jesus practice a way of parenting that is training little Jesus to, to nurture him in a particular way. And what she's trying to do, and what actually, what most, this is not unusual, this is what Mary did. This is what was passed down to generation generation, that most parents when that baby was delivered, even sometimes before they cleaned the baby up, they would wrap them in these swallowing clothes tightly. In fact, this still happens in, in some hospitals. They, they will wrap the child tightly. Why? Well, because that child has been in an enclosed womb that's close, that's safe, and wombs are supposed to be safe, safe, uh, secure, protected, and now all of a sudden they're, they're out. You just think about it. You know, I'm out here in this world and I'm flopping around. It's like, what happened? And so they would wrap them in swaddling cloths, not to restrict them, but to help them feel secure. This is so significant because the idea of nurturing and training an infant is to help them learn to trust 
somebody sees me. Somebody cares for me. I don't know who that person is, um, except that I get fed from them, you know, and I don't know who that other voice is that's bigger and, and louder and deeper, but, you know, when I, when, when I need to be rolled over, that person will roll me over. When, when I need to have my diaper changed, that person will change me. When I need to be fed, that warm body will feed me. I, 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 there's people that, there's, there, I'm not alone in the world. I am, I'm learning as I'm nurtured, as my needs are being met, I'm learning to trust that when I'm hungry, I won't have to go days and weeks wondering, am I going to get fed? My stomach is growling. I, I can't communicate, but I'm really hungry. And when I cry, someone feeds me. We don't think about this sometimes, but we're training that child from infancy. There's somebody here looking after you. You can trust that when you have a need, somebody will meet that need. Now, remember, the whole goal all along, even from infancy, is to train and to nurture children to be God-centered. They don't know it, but you're already beginning to train them that there is a being, there is an authority, there is a God that they can trust, that loves them, that will meet their needs, who cares about them. You know, kids aren't thinking this, but they are recognizing Someone sees me, hears me, meets my needs. Now, when we go through each one of these, I said there's these, these, these three subpoints. So what's the parenting goal of uh, nurturing a, an infant? Helping that kid feel loved. When I'm hungry and you feed me and I'm an infant, that feels like love. I'm not abandoned. I'm not ignored. Because when I am abandoned and when I am ignored, it feels like I'm not loved, right? And so this is simple, but it's so important because sometimes parents get this idea that, you know, they can have a kid and just kind of put them in the crib and they'll just kind of take care of themselves or, you know, stick them in a daycare where there's, you know, one person watching 20 kids and, and that kid's not getting attention. No one's looking into the eyes of that infant and saying with their eyes, you matter, you're loved. They're one of many people who are being attended to. And, you know, we talked about the helicopter style. There is a stage in parenting that you should not be a helicopter parent, but this one you should be. You should be hovering over that brand new baby, attending to their needs, because you meeting their needs is teaching them. I'm seen, I'm heard, I can trust. So this, we're, we're learning to trust, and now that's setting them up for this foundation that God is, before we know the name, that there's a God who's, who's alive, who sees me, who I can trust, and that God is love. For children who are abandoned, neglected, uh, parented on the side, that sets into that infant an insecurity that will last the rest of their life. These are the foundational stages. This is why it's so important that, that the parents are engaged with their kids. So the training skill is this attentive observation. Now, this can be challenging in today's world because we have so many things that grab our attention, TV shows, internet, work, uh, the phone that keeps 
you know, lighten up. And, and so we get so busy doing our things and that sometimes children can feel like a nuisance. You know, like, you know, I don't have time for you. Ugh. Pour into those children. I don't care about your internet feed. I don't care about your social media. God gave you a child. Give all of your attention that you can to attend to that child. Hover over them. And as you're looking into their eyes and as you're meeting their needs and holding them and, and you're, you're observing them because you're learning their way because every child has a way, their personality, a style. And as you learn them, that will help you parent them because you can't, there's no book. I don't care how great the author is. There's no TV show. There's no sermon. There's no resource that's a one-size-fits-all. Every child is unique. And if you've had multiple kids, you know this. And that kid needs to be parented based upon their personality, their way, how God's wired them. And so not only do you use different skills for different stages, you use different skills and different styles for different ages and different children. And you learn who they are by attentively observing them. And if you're just watching TV while they're there, you're not paying attention to them. And you're saying, well, Jim, I don't got time to do this. Well, think about that. Seriously. Those of you who are, who are not yet having kids, think about why do you want to have kids? A trophy? Because everybody else is? Or are you prepared to pour into them, especially that first year, because that's what they need, and that's why God gave you those kids. Okay, so, so there's, our, there's our first stage and the things that we're learning. And as we, oh, there's a few more here. We're showing love and affection. Yep, we talked about that. Meeting needs, talked about that. And you're engaging with them. You're interacting with them. And I love all these interactive toys that get parents reading and playing with their kids. Um, that interaction is just so important because kids, their brains, man, they're learning so fast and they're, they're gaining so much knowledge and they need to have you interacting with them. And you're like, man, there's all this stuff already in the first year of, oh, I need help. That's right, you need wisdom. <laughs> and you're gonna see if you're taking notes, you, every way, every stage along the way, I've got wisdom because it's hard to parent well and we need wisdom all along the way but I've got four more stages, so let's jump into the next one. Now we've absolutely are shifting gears. We're only in, you know, the next year of their life, age one to five. Now, and of course, there's a range here. So, you know, you pay attention to your kid. That's why we talk about attentively observing. As you learn their way, learn their personality, this might, this stage might be a little earlier, a little bit later, but you're shifting from um, just meeting their needs and and caring for them and nurturing them to getting directive, very directive. Now, it doesn't mean you've stopped nurturing, by no means. It's just it means that you are now being very directive. And what are you being directive about? You're teaching them, you're directing them, you're training them to obey. Now, in some people's worlds, obedience is a word that has fallen on hard times. It's, it, for some people, it sounds harsh, but it doesn't need to be. Training someone to obey, there's nothing harsh in that phrase. If there's any harshness, it's in the parent or the coach or the teacher. 
that is exercising harshness as they train. But don't think that training someone to obey is, is harsh. No, it's, it's helpful, it's positive, it's life-saving. Because if you don't teach that child to obey, they're gonna struggle their whole life with teachers, coaches, spouses, um, police, um, bosses, authorities in their life because they never learned that their authorities are to be respected. And worst of all, they're gonna struggle with God because I was never taught to obey. And so I'm the master of my universe. I figure out what I wanna do. My mom and dad wanted, me, wanted to raise me to be independent and to make my own decisions. Great, but not at age two. <laughs> you know, that needs to come and you might be, some of you might, actually might be surprised how soon I recommend you helping children to make their own decisions, but it's not at one in war two. So they need, before they learn to make their own decisions, they, learn to, they need to learn to obey. I mean, they don't know anything. They're one year old. And while they're growing like crazy, they need direction, okay? So our first parenting goals for teaching them to obey is helping them to feel loved, just like the first stage. We're not stopping that. And helping them to learn. This is a learning. This is a training process. To learn to listen. When mom speaks, you pay attention. You, you, you turn your attention from your toy, from whatever you're doing, and you, you pay attention to mom, and you obey what dad says, what mom says. That, that's, that's, what, that's what you're training them to do. And it is training because every wonderful little child comes out of the womb with this thing called original sin. <laughs> and for some kids, it's easier to see than others. You know? And so what that is is just willfulness. It's just self-will. I, I want to do it my way. I want things to go my way. That, that's all that is. But uh, a one-year-old doesn't know what's the right way. And because sin stains our, our, our processes of processing and thinking and, and deciding, we need to recognize that that wonderful bundle of joy needs to have obedience trained into her, into him, for their own safety, for their own good. I mean, um, and, and this isn't a time to, to, to argue with your children. When, when, when you're teaching a child to obey, you want to be real clear, you want to be firm, and you want the consequences to be immediate for disobedience. And again, when I say consequences, you know, some people think you're talking about spanking. I, I know I'm not consequences, whatever those are. We took your toy away from you. you um, we took this away. We, we, uh, you can't do this now. You know, what, the kid needs to see clear consequences, and it can't be waffling. It's got to be consistent that when mom or dad tell me to do something, I need to listen and obey, and if I don't, I'm going to pay the consequences. And kids can learn that if you're consistent, and it can be quiet it should not be emotional. It shouldn't be. Well, I told you a thousand times, you know, you know, some kind of going off the handle because they're, they're, they're not doing what you say. No, when you teach a kid consequences from day one, they learn quickly. It doesn't pay to disobey. It, I don't get what I want. You know, I, it's, it's, I'm a much happier child when I obey mom and dad. And a lot of the behavior problems we have in schools today are for this very reason. Mom and dad didn't have the time or the courage or the endurance or the know-how 
to teach their children to obey, and we give that responsibility to a school teacher. Uh, good luck, you know. And, and so there's behavioral problems that are coming out of an insecurity that I feel but can't vocalize as a child because I want to be secure, just like I did when I was one week old. I want to be secure. And because mom and dad are so busy, because they're waffling, and because I never know whether they're yelling or whether they're, they're, they mean it, I feel insecure. It's, it's up, what, you know, what's, what's true? What's consistent? You know, just have some fun with me for a minute. Imagine um, watching a basketball game where a referee acted the way some parents do today. So, you know, they're playing the game and one kid, one, one player trips another player and the ref blows the whistle and goes, stop, what are you doing? <laughs> did you just, why did you do that? What? The player says, oh, you know, you, you tripped. No, I didn't. And there's an argument that happens on the floor, you know, and the, the, the referee parent says, how many times have I talked to you about not tripping? Now, if you do that one more time, I'm going to throw you out of the game. Now, stop it. Let's go. <laughs> so and then, you know, the game keeps going on, and then another player fouls another player, and the referee blows the whistle and goes, what? You guys are driving me crazy. How many times do I have to tell you, stop hitting each other? Well, he hit me first. Can you imagine this happening on a basketball court? Why doesn't it happen? Well, it might happen in junior high basketball. But, you know, why doesn't it happen? Because the referees unemotionally are the authorities that, that consistently, even if they get it wrong, Lakers versus Celtics, even if they get it wrong sometimes, um, they consistently, as best as they can, Give immediate consequences. Blow the whistle, stop the game. That's a foul. We're not, we're not arguing about it. That's a foul. Go to the foul line of the player. You have one foul against you. Um, now, I may explain that, but I'm, we're not going to argue about it because if you argue, what, what happens? You get thrown out of the game. There's clear consequences. Even if your name is Draymond Green, we're going to throw you out, you know? And so there's, there's these clear consequences. When I laugh about that in a basketball game, but that's the way a lot of parents parent is they yell and they cajole and they scream and they warn and they threaten. And this is going to happen. Just be a person of your word because your kid's dying for you to be a consistent person who sets boundaries in the home. And they will push against those boundaries until they find they hold. That's what's happening with misbehavior with little kids. They're, they're pushing against the boundaries to see is there security there. It looks like just mere disobedience and bad behavior, but what they're doing is going, is there any security here? Who can I trust? Where am I safe that I can know that I'm, that I'm, that I'm good here, that it's consistent? And this is why, another reason why we need this, and, and I'm only gonna do this one time, and that is show you a resource because this is the best resource that I know of um, it's written by Ann Wiggins and Linda Williams. They used to go to this church. Linda used to be uh, a teacher. And it's the best book I've seen on this thing I'm talking about right now, teaching obedience to little children without losing your mind, without screaming, without raising your voice, just steady, consistent, firm, clear consequences and teaching obedience. It's, it's an incredible book. I could do this with every single point that I'm going to make, but I'll run out of time. So I'm, we're, we're going to put together a bunch of resources for every stage along the way, toddlers, adolescents, teenagers, to help you along this way, okay? So, so you're helping them with those parenting goals. Now, discipleship goal is we want to help connect this little developing brain with the story of God. 
This is why reading the Bible and reading books on the Bible, story books, picture books about the Bible, about God, are so important in this stage. And really, you can do this even in the previous stage, but now they can comprehend more. The pictures, the words, the fact that you're reading this again and again, it's repetitive, and they're beginning to, to realize, I don't know if I can put words to it yet, but there's, mom and dad keep saying God, whatever that is, you know, they're still one to five, but you're teaching them theology at this age. You're, shape, you're, you're patiently instructing them, and you're helping them connect with this God who loves them like crazy, who cares for them, who's trustworthy. We're, we're, we're learning the character of God at this age. Yes, we're, we're starting this process. So the training skills that are necessary is I'm still being attentively observant. I'm showing love and affection. Now, this stage and, and the next one, especially, especially the end of this stage, ages four and five and the beginning of the next stage, the, the helicopter attentive observation, it needs to shift from hovering to more stealth mode. So we're still very much observing this child. We're very attentive. We're really paying attention because we're learning their way, but we're moving, especially as they get out of this stage into the next one, we're moving out of them realizing that we're watching them because we want them to obey for the right reasons, not because mom and dad are watching. And we don't want them to feel like they're the center of attention. So important. When a four, five, six, seven-year-old realizes that I'm the center of my parents' attention, it sets in them a self-centeredness that is so destructive later on. This is counterintuitive to some of you because you're like, I thought we were supposed to pour into that children. Yeah, that's stage one where you're hovering, but stage two and stage three, you're moving, you're more stealth mode because you don't want them to think that they're the center of attention. You want your kids to think that mom and dad and their relationship is what's most important. And that creates a security in the home. When a mom or a dad or both of them ignore and neglect each other to focus on the kid, it seems like the right path, but the end of that path is death because that kid is beginning to think, hey, I'm, I'm everything, I'm the center. And so it's healthy for them to realize mom and dad are more important. They're loving each other, their date nights, their, their relationship is more important. That creates a security in the child. I feel I'm comfortable here, I'm safe here. So we're giving them lots of affection, lots of attention. We're patiently, oh my goodness, we need so much patience at this stage because you're teaching them so many things. You're teaching them skills. You're teaching them to obey. You're teaching them um, uh, how to do so many things. And it feels like I keep saying the same thing and over again to teach you how to do that. It takes repetition for learning to happen. And so just be patient in this stage and don't let your discouragement turn you into giving negative reinforcement. Focus on positive reinforcement, loving discipline. And you're like, well, how do I do that? That's why you need wisdom. Whoops, back it up. That's why you need wisdom to know how do I do all of these things? Okay, move to the next stage. Still in the trainer thing, but now we're talking about in the encouraging trainer. Does that mean we don't encourage our kids in the, in the first two stages? No. Just like it doesn't mean we stop nurturing at stage two and three. Um, but we, we do want to focus on this because in this ages five to 12, wow, things are just happening so fast. And we want to encourage them in all this learning. I mean, the, 
their, their brains are exploding. And really, the first two stages is the same way. But, but now we can really, you know, communicate with them and encourage them along the way. And uh, again, you know, this is, these things are so relevant also to, as we're discipling, these stages have some similarities to them that, you know, we're giving direction in the early days, we're encouraging. And the parenting goals here are to, again, continue to help them feel loved. And now, this surprises some people, at ages five, I mean, we know 12, well, some of us don't know, but at age five, we're beginning to, as children, to learn to make wise decisions. Remember, stage two is directive. We're telling them what to do. We're telling them don't do this. We're telling them go do that. And we're giving that clear direction. But already at age five, we're starting the process. And this is so important that you get this. It's a process. We're, be- we're beginning this process for them to be able to learn to make decisions and hopefully, eventually, wise decisions. Now, they're not going to learn that just by watching you. They're going to learn that by trial and error. They're going to learn that by making bad decisions. So that's why you start in this stage with giving them simple decisions to make that don't have life-changing consequences if they make the wrong decision. Let them choose what they want to have for lunch. You know, not standing in front of the whole refrigerator, but between these two meals, between these two sandwiches, you choose. Uh, let them choose what they're going to wear to school. You know, they may look goofy. That's all right. They're learning how to make decisions. And so little by little, you're letting them make decisions. You might give them some feedback about this decision or that decision, but you're helping them to get to the point where by the end of this stage, I do mean this, by age 12, your children have learned to make wise decisions. This blows some people away. 12-year-olds aren't able to do that. Yes, they are. But in today's world where there's so many helicopter parents and so many moms and dads coming behind their kids and fixing problems and not letting them taste consequences, they don't learn to make wise decisions because they're not paying the, experiencing the consequences. And this is important because this is what we want them to know about God, that God has a purpose for their life, that God has a plan for them, that they want to learn to listen to him, to obey him, and that God will give us the freedom. We're not robots. God gives us the freedom to disobey, to make bad decisions. He warns us, he challenges us, he coaches us, but he's teaching us to make wise decisions. This is discipleship as well as parenting, okay? So we're learning to reflect God's character because we've learned about his character. Now we're learning to to see that character reflected. The, The ultimate goal of this stage is that your child would surrender their life to Jesus Christ. Um, it doesn't happen to happen. It doesn't have to happen. But if you, know, you have these goals, that's your goal. I, I want my kids to understand what sin is. I want them to understand what grace is. And we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks. Home, the, home is the best place to learn grace, the best place to hear the gospel. Um, I, I want my kids to recognize that God has a plan for their life. He's calling them to be disciples, that, that he loves them, and that Jesus died for them. I, I want my kids to recognize that. And if they can get that in this stage, oh, oh, it's so beautiful. The stats show that if a child does not surrender their life to Christ at this stage, there's a really good chance they may never, ever do that. This is such an important stage. Make this the goal of your whole parenting between 5 and 12. Okay, in order to do that, we're helping them learn the Bible, and now we're talking about the training skills. Continue to be observed. We are in stealth mode. Continue to show love and affection, though by the time they get to 11 and 12, 
don't kiss your children in public. Um, like, Dad, stop that. Ugh. You know, especially in front of my friends. Ugh. You know, respect them. They're growing up. You know, give them all kinds of love and affection at home. But give them, respect their wishes. You know, give them lots of love and affection, but just pay attention to their stage. You're teaching them scripture. You're teaching them life skills. You're teaching them um, how to delegate. You're positively reinforcing as they make decisions, as they do chores, as they decide, when am I going to do my chore? You're not hovering anymore, but there's consequences when they don't do their chore, chores. Chores are, are so important. If you don't have chores in your family, start doing them because it's one of the ways kids learn work ethics, responsibility, um, time to grow up, you know, just little chores that they can feel good about proud that I'm a responsible person. I can do that. I'm capable. You know, um, uh, have I told the story about the children making a bed yet in this service? Somebody, somebody shake their head. No, okay, so I, I just preached it last week, last night, last hour. My head's foggy. Um, so as you're teaching your children, one of the things you know that you teach every child, hopefully, is how to make their bed. And so, um, you know, the first time you teach them, you show them how to do that and you help them. Then there's the first day when they make their own bed. Moms and dads, I surely hope you're not making your children's beds at age 12, you know, teenage years. So we're in the early days, maybe four or five. We're learning. They're teaching, how to make, they're teaching them how to make their bed. But the first time they do it on their own, it's a mess. Do you come behind them and fix it to show them how, the right way to do it? What do you think? No. Why? Because you've shown them how to do it. You've shown them the right way. Now they're doing it, and if you come behind them, either while they're there or later in the day, and make it right, you're training. I'm not capable. I need mom and dad to come behind me and fix, because I can't do it. That's not what they're thinking out loud, you know, that's, and maybe not even thinking that subconsciously, but, or, or consciously, but subconsciously, I'm learning, I need someone to come behind me and fix things, because I'm not capable. You see why you start with little things and let the room be a mess for a while. Let the bed be a mess as you, as you, you teach them and help them learn how to do that. It's a small thing, but don't come behind because you're uncomfortable with a messy bed. Teach them, give them consequences about, we said your room had to be clean before you could go out to play. It's not, your bed's not made. Guess you're not going out to play today. So, you know, these kind of things. So, so much to say. Um, let them fail. In small things, let them fail as much as possible. Seriously. <laughs> let your kids fail like crazy. Why? I want them to be successful. You learn to be successful by failing. You know this, right? You, you learn to be successful by failing and learning from your mistakes. That's what brings success. So let them fail now while the consequences are not big. Because if you don't let them fail now when they're 15, 18, and they make really bad decisions and fail, and that changes their life forever, that's the wrong time to learn how to fail and learn how to make decisions. So given loving discipline, wisdom, here we go. Fourth stage. We've moved from training, even though we are, to more of a coaching in our training. And the key word is supportive. We're in these tumultuous years of 12 to 17. You're basically done teaching. You're basically done directing. You're going to now reap what you've sown the first 12 years. So there's a lot of supporting going on here. You're gradually releasing them to decide. Key word, gradually. <laughs> so this is a long stage. 12 to 17, it's only five years, but it's, a hu- it's a forever. 
and you're really helping them get good at deciding now, and you're releasing them more and more to make bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger decisions because they're learning how to make decisions. How do you learn? By making decisions. Um, you know, how do you learn to be a leader? By leading. Does it help to read books and hear talks? Yeah, but there's nothing like actually leading to learn how to be a leader. Same way with making decisions. The best way to learn how to make decisions is to make decisions. So you're helping them, you're teaching them, and you're supporting them. And your primary goal here as a parent is I've shifted from helping them feel loved to helping them feel accepted. Why? Because at this stage, that's what love looks like. Acceptance is so important for young teens, the whole teenage eight-year season. And acceptance from their peers feels like love. Judgment and unacceptance from you feels like you don't love me anymore. I'm broken. Something wrong with me. No matter what your kid does, never pull back your acceptance of them. Never, ever. Are we clear? Your acceptance is never based on their behavior. Never. It's true for other people as well. We love and accept people regardless of what they do, whatever their worldview is, whatever decisions they make. But so important in the home, I love you. There's nothing you could ever do to cause mom and dad to say, you're out of here. We, we don't, you're not in our family anymore. We don't love you. We don't accept you until you fly right. Nope. This is a home of acceptance. This is a home of, of, of love, and that's what acceptance looks like to them. You're keeping the communication lines open. At this stage, at this stage, I will actually, I actually overlooked some minor cases of disobedience or minor cases of you didn't do what I asked you to do because I felt like there was times when the communication lines were so fragile. And I was more, at this stage, not previous stages, at this stage, I cared more about keeping the communication lines open. That's so important that I would let something slide. Someone think, you're a bad parent. Okay. But this is what was most important in this stage to me. Because if I can communicate with my kid, we can get through a lot of stuff. But when they shut me out and I can't get in, now what? That's my, that's my philosophy. I'm helping them choose healthy friends. They're making wise, helping them make wise decisions. I'm beginning to orient them towards pursuing God's purpose for their life. So that's the discipleship goal as well. That's why I want to help them know their Bible. Learn how to get around your Bible. Study the Bible. Learn your Bible. They learn how to pray. Learn how to live out your faith. This is no longer teaching information. Now and I'm, I'm helping them live that out in their life, at home and at school and the play yard and, and wherever they go. And now we're applying these things that we've learned about trusting God during crisis and difficulty because that's what this stage is about. One crisis after another. One crisis, bam, 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 bam. They will experience crisis and difficulty like this, like in this stage, like no other. And what we want to help them learn is to trust God. And that's why the first three stages were so important to teach them a foundation of loving and trusting God because they're going to need that in, this, in these stages because crisis comes every day in junior high school and high school. Amen? <laughs> Whew, some of you forgot. Uh, so you're helping them grow in prayer. You're helping them live a God-centered life, grow in Christ-likeness. We're, we're teaching them to still delegate and, and decisions that they're making and the things that are happening in the home. Letting them fail. These are things we've all talked about. Now this one. Ugh, this is so hard. We're, 
little, gradually releasing them, gradually releasing them to decide, and we've got to let go. It's just so hard for so many parents. Um, so it's a skill that you've got to learn because if you clamp down now, you're just going to drive them away. You got to learn to let go. And it, again, it's a process. It's stages. Not, you know, not when they turn 12. Okay, do whatever you want. I'm letting go. No, no. You haven't heard anything I've said. It's a process. We're gradually doing it. We're teaching them how to make wise decisions. But when they make bad decisions, we have to go, okay, they're 17. They're 16. I'm not going to go to the school and fight for them. They're going to have to be expelled. I'm not going to go to the police and try to convince the police, well, they're actually a good kid. No, we're going to taste that consequence. I got to let go. Um, you know, they're making some other bad decisions. Let go. Not at 12, but it's the process. Okay, got to keep moving. Communication, wisdom, trusting God. These, these are all important things. Now we're to the last stage. Um, I call this the caring consultant stage because they're done. You're done parenting, basically. You're done training, mostly. So now they're in the consultant stage. What's that mean? That means that you don't call them every day. How's it going? How's it going? How's it going? You take their call because you're, you're a consultant. You care like crazy. You wish they would call, but they haven't. Don't call them. Now, you could call them, you know, once, a, once every two or three weeks. You know, they go to college, you know, but, but don't keep checking in. You're a consultant now. They need independence. They need freedom. Now, based upon whether they will let you or not, you're helping them to discern. Not decide, but discern. That's building on all the things you've been teaching them. What they need now is your support. Even if they make bad decisions. They're adults. Guys, they're adults. Let them make their own decisions. You support them. And if they'll let you, you consult, but be available for them because they may come. I remember the first time that, that one of my kids made a really, really bad decision I, as an adult. And I'm like, well, it wasn't really, really bad. It was just something I really strongly disagreed with. And I'm like, okay, okay. Whew. Breathe deep, Jim. <laughs> and then I didn't, I didn't sweep in, swoop in. And I found out later that that was something that really connected with that child. It was like, Dad, thanks for letting me screw up. I didn't think I was screwing up at the time, but you knew I was, but you let me screw up. I said, yeah, you're an adult. You know, you're on your own now. You're, you're flying. So be available. Don't hover. We're, we're done with that. Our discipleship goals is, is we we've, we've, hopefully have helped them how to feed themselves from the word of God and to do it consistently so that they can now joyfully and confidently trust God. They were learning to trust God in the previous stage. Now you've trained them so well that now they're, they're actually learning to joyfully trust God. And let's be honest, some of you don't even know how to do that yet. <laughs> this, is a, this is a great skill to, have, to learn. That, that's the goal, that even during crisis, I can joyfully and confidently trust God because he cares for me. Now I'm living a God-centered life. I'm growing in Christ. And I'm actually helping disciple others because I am a God-centered kid that's become a God-centered adult. And I understand that Discipleship involves not just me following Jesus, but helping others follow Jesus. Amen? So the, uh, finally now, the training skills. <laughs> it's harder and harder to let go. We just keep practicing that. I need wisdom. I need now to learn a whole new level of trusting God. When your kids are adults and you're done parenting, you're still their parent. 
You're done parenting, but you're still their parent. But it's a whole different day. And you can grow like crazy if you will trust God throughout these processes, but especially this one. Because you'll learn that, that, that God's got this. He's got a timetable. He's loving. He's sovereign. He's wise. And you're pulling your hair out going, why are you letting this happen, God? And it causes you to pray. It causes you to go deeper. And you begin to discover that your good, good father in heaven actually loves your kids far more than you do. As crazy as you are about your kids, and you will die for them, God loves them more. And you can trust your father in heaven. In fact, let him father you during these last stages because it can be so hard. Kids are making decisions we wish they wouldn't make. And we're like, oh, that's going to be so painful. Trust God. Let him father you. He's a God of compassion. What, what does David say in Psalm 103? As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. That is, those who walk with him. Maybe you've never ever read this verse or heard this verse as a parent. But let it sink in today. Let God father you. And maybe you'll discover things about God that you never knew at this stage. Because, come on, God is the most misunderstood person in the universe. People got all these crazy ideas about what God is like. Parenting with God will teach you what God is really like. And you'll discover he's a good, good father. And he gave you these kids because he trusted you. And he, he will help you throughout this process, trust him. They were never your kids in the first place, right? I mean, it's hard to believe when they're one. No, it's my kid. No, that's God's kid that he loaned to you for 18 years. Parenting is stewardship. They belong to God. And now it's time to let go and let God He's a good, good God. Let's pray. Father, we have come to love you as we know you better and better. We need help with this parenting thing. We need help with this discipleship thing. So I pray that you will encourage moms and dads, grandparents, aunts and uncles, disciplers, that you will encourage us and help us in this journey, this stewardship of parenting. So much to learn, so much to do, so much failure. But we can trust you. We look to you even now at the end of this sermon to say, God, help me. And I pray for the people listening to my voice. Help them to be good stewards of the kids you've given them. Help them to, to parent in a way that brings you glory and honor. And help them parent in such a way that their kids eventually learn to live God-centered lives. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.